Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today I'm joined once again by a friend of the show, Berto, to chat about Ari Aster's debut family drama horror film, Hereditary, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Hereditary tells the haunted tale of a family grappling with grief. After the loss of her mother, Annie, played by Tony Collette, begins to uncover terrifying secrets about her ancestry, though the deeper down the rabbit hole she goes, the more danger she puts her family in. Berto, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. It's good to be back. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I feel like uh, this episode has been long in the making, yeah. considering uh, I had you on once before to do Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. and yet now it's time to kind of like bond over a movie that we have a, uh, a deep love for. Yeah, I think it's probably the only only scary movie that I'm I'm a big fan of. I'm not like it's yeah. creepy, but I like I'd still watch it because it's just so well done. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely. Uh, I would say this is the first film as an adult that I've seen that made me lose sleep over. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we watched it last night, and uh, I kind of had a hard time falling asleep. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, it was a combination of just the thought, like me thinking about the movie, and I think it's in uh, the heat. I think it's kind of mm. like it was really hard to fall asleep kind of creep myself yeah, out about that we saw this opening night back in 2018 when it came yeah. out and i just remember going home because i reviewed it for some website and i like jotting down notes and then laying in bed until like two or three in the morning just like terrified out of my mind yeah. not being able to sleep like well and we'll get into it but it's kind of just like staring into the corners of my oh ceiling my God, and yeah. stuff and i was like <laughs> am i really about to sleep with the lights on yeah it was definitely yeah that was probably i think that was this is probably the first movie i've seen like a scary movie that i've seen in theaters i don't think i've ever been to a theater to watch scary movie and Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely i mean last night we listened we we watched it through like zoom but with headphones and i think it just changes the whole movie like for for me at least i picked up minor details of like within the soundtrack that just made Mm -hmm. the scenes more intense which i think it was awesome which i've never picked it up we at least i haven't picked it up in the movie Absolutely. I think this movie has one of the defining characteristics of like a timeless horror movie in that every, I think I've seen this movie now probably six or seven times. And every single time I watch it, I get a better appreciation for a different aspect of it or my overall enjoyment of it kind of just grows and grows. Like I think originally the first time I watched it, I had a big problem with the length of the movie. Yeah, I thought that it was, it kind of went on a little too long, Mm -hmm. but on a rewatch, especially like last night, we picked up more on like the soundtrack and different elements of it um, in listening with headphones, Yeah, which I don't know, that's not something that I really have experienced before in a right. movie. Like I, you'd think that I would have picked up on certain cues in the audio and stuff before. Mm-hmm. We both would have, yeah. but just it shows another kind of layer to the film that kind of just grow a greater appreciation for. Yeah, it was definitely, yeah, I definitely like, even like there's like certain scenes where there's like a little bass in the background that we picked up on. It was like, mm-hmm. I thought it was like something like outside of my house or something. But then I realized I was like, Oh, it's part of the movie. Like it kind of brought this like intensity to it. Like something's going to go down kind of like builds up the moment. Um, but yeah, definitely. I appreciated it a lot more. I mean, like, like we always do. I feel like every time we watch movies, we, we tend to learn more about it. And then this is definitely one of those that, the more you watch, the more you you pick up on the subtle cues of the movies, like little hidden gems, which I really like about that, like about the movie that there's certain scenes where it's like you pick up little hints of like the grandma left certain like messages, I guess, that you pick up throughout the movie. And it's awesome. I really enjoy those kind of movies. Yeah, I think so right out of the 
the gate, I think the biggest strength of the film is the pacing of it. Yeah. And that, and this is by this point, I'm coming off as a broken record because <laughs> I've said in past reviews about horror movies, like my biggest problem is is that they basically show too much too too soon mm-hmm. in the movie generally. So that way, by the end of the movie, the last 30 minutes, you're kind of like, I've seen everything that they can do to scare me. I'm no longer scared. Right. Whereas this film is constructed in the opposite way, where the first two thirds of the movie are all spent about developing the characters and kind of just getting to the root of their uh, trauma and their grief and how this is like a very fractured relationship between all the members, whether it's um, the wife, the husband, the two kids, and then it grows and grows and escalates throughout until we get to that ending, which is kind of just unimaginable yeah. nightmare. It's like peak, basically. peak nightmare, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very, very creepy in that sense. But I, like you said, like in the beginning, I also enjoyed the um the way the director they did the camera angles. I think it's awesome. Mm. Where we start off in that in the first scene where it's like you have the dollhouse and it slowly zooms into the room and it just kind of like slides right into the the scene where the kids sleeping and the dad walks into the room. It's so well done. I think it's one of my favorite like things about this like the director in general even with midsummer he does the same same kind of style um mm-hmm. of movie like the same same kind of style of uh filming and stuff so it's like it's kind of cool how he like combines like two different scenes into one it kind of like flows together um, yeah there's uh there's numerous scenes like that where they're transitioning yeah. really seamlessly where like you said he zooms into the dollhouse and then we get into the set basically yeah. but then we also have a couple of scenes i think there's two scenes where the transition from day to night is like instantaneous. Yeah, yeah. One one time it's there's an exterior of the house mm-hmm. and it goes from daytime to nighttime. Right. And then there's also that scene where um Peter sitting on Peter sitting on the edge of his bed after yeah. the the tragic sec the second tragic accident that occurs, and then it transitions to him into the classroom in the middle of the day. Yeah. And it's kind of it creates this very dreamlike quality mm-hmm. to time which I think really helps heighten the sort of idea that the family is falling deeper and deeper into this or be, they're being haunted and the haunting is growing yeah. uh, more powerful to the point that their sense of reality starts to shift a little right. bit. Right, Kind of like they're losing it slowly. Yeah it's, yeah. it's really well done. I think that's one of the things I enjoyed a lot about the, uh, the way it was made and, and, and yeah, it just, it just seems like they took their time and they knew exactly what they wanted to do with it, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something that I never knew before uh, watching the documentary that was part of the Blu-ray was that the house itself, so the ec- it's a, obviously a real house that they did for the exterior, yeah. but then for all the interior shots, they actually had to build a set. Oh, wow. And it's one of those things where the house, the interior, sometimes between the interior and exterior when they do that, yeah. There can be something lost, like the house sometimes cannot feel like it's – the interior sometimes feels – It doesn't belong. Maybe unnatural, yeah. like it doesn't belong yeah, exactly yeah. to the house based off of the exterior. Mm-hmm. But this one, I feel like it's so expertly crafted yeah. that, again, it kind of taps into Ari Aster's vision that's so seamless in transitioning. So there's <laughs> never a moment where you're like, eh, this doesn't really seem like it would fit within the context of like the house that's frame yeah. that's essentially the framework for most of the action right. or most of the uh, scares that occur within mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can definitely tell. Like, again, it's like attention to detail in that sense that, you know, it it for me, it was very fitting. And also we suddenly realized how big the house is. It's huge. Right. So it's like yeah. a family of four. It's like massive house. It's like, holy shit. But um, yeah, definitely... It's very fit. Also, like 
even when they were like the beginning scene we were talking about how he zooms in it kind of feels like you're almost going into like a play scene like when you go to go to a play and you see the scene that's like a set but then it like naturally like transitions into like you feel like you're in a room like you yeah. zoom in you zoom into the dollhouse and then it seems like you're in like a theater watching a play and then it all of a sudden snaps into like you're in this room like you feel like you're in there and i think that's again back to the director the uh, the attention to detail and the way it makes you like transition to like you feel like you're already there in the house which is kind of awesome yeah and um i think what really captivates me still on a rewatch like this is my seventh rewatch i think is just how much attention and time is uh given to developing these characters mm, yeah. and really focusing on their relationship and showing that we essentially come late to a relationship that's already fractured. Right. Because from the very beginning of the movie, they just feel very at odds with one another. Like they feel almost awkward distance, yeah. and a lot of their, yeah, very distance, distant. Yeah. And then we see what happens when they're faced with this unimaginable tragedy, which yeah. basically sends them spiraling even more and more. And that's when we sort of see a lot of the, things that have been or the feelings rather Mm -hmm. that have been lying underneath the surface for them they kind of just come out to the forefront Mm -hmm. and the way that that kind of lines up with the discovering a lot of the uh, different secrets that the mother had and then kind of transitioning from that into the haunting getting more and more intense yeah it just involves the viewer in a way that not a lot of horror movies can say that they do or not to the lengths that they go that in the end like it makes the ending of the movie that much more shocking because there's only one or two really scary moments before the finale. Right. And which, I mean, how many horror movies can say that within the first 90 minutes kind of thing? Yeah. It just seems like like back to the, like the family connection. It's like, yeah, you see that they're kind of almost when we start, when you meet the family, it's like they go through this like funeral, the grandma and stuff. And then it's like, you see like they're kind of broken apart. Like they seem very separate. And then they get mm-hmm. thrown with this other situation that happens. And it's like, you can see that slowly deteriorating their relationship and it's falling apart. And like, and then on top of that, it's like this thing that goes on, like the, the hunting and just kind of like it, it exaggerates everything that's going on around mm-hmm. them, their emotion and stuff. And it just kind of basically really shows their, I guess their true identity of like their, some, some of the characters are scared. Some of them don't even know what to think. Some of them are just losing their mind. And uh, it really kind of like, and like you can really notice that. And yeah, it's really, it's one of those things where it's like, like you said, like even the scary movie, it's like, it's a slow buildup, but it, you, I kind of enjoyed the way it introduces the characters to really like show you this is their point of view. And then it, it leads up to the, the final scenes, I guess. Um, they do a really yeah. good job at that. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's really telling Ari Aster said in the, uh, in the documentary again, the making of that I watched, he says that by taking a lot of time to invest us in the characters, mm. it's that when horrible things start happening, it's not just like a spectacle. It's more about like a betrayal of these characters in the sense that we actually care that these horrible things are happening to them rather than just kind of it serving as this, as being a shock. Mm. And like he said, as being a spectacle, this idea that the movie really doesn't waste any of its scares. All of its scares are directly tied to the characters themselves. And we're so invested in them that it's like pretty heartbreaking to see some of these people uh, experience what they do when a majority of them are considered like quote unquote innocence. Mm -hmm. Like most of them haven't done anything wrong. And it just kind of 
it had it lends this very dark and unforgiving nature to the haunting itself. Yeah. Where a lot of time in some haunting movies, especially in the conclusion, like directors can tend to kind of pull the punches a little bit at the end where it's like, oh, we want to go for a happy ending. Right. And it's like this movie does not have right, a happy yeah. ending at all. No, no. And way. just to see that play out in the scares throughout mm-hmm. is just really rewarding in a way that, again, like not a lot of modern horror movies uh, capture. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. You definitely see the um, the way, I think, yeah, it's like even from the beginning, you see the character develop and then it kind of leads up to this big, I guess it's not, there's not many scares within the movie, but you kind of feel like the tension. Again, I think it adds up to the soundtrack also. Like there's something mm-hmm. going on, there's something building up and it kind of like throughout the movie, it builds up to this final, the final ending stuff, you know, that happens. And it's like, it's really, they, they really did enjoy the fact that they took their time doing that and like kind of getting to know the character, kind of almost building a relationship with the character and just not knowing what's going to happen to them. So like next thing right. you know, they're there and then they're gone or it's just, it's, just, it's really, I, I really enjoy that. There's like, Kind of, I I kind of enjoy the the brother character, um, Peter. I think he's yeah. one of the. I guess he's he's very innocent, but at the same time, he's kind of an adult becoming an adult because he's in high school. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like you kind of get to know him. It's like oh shit, like he has he just ends up with so much trauma with everything that goes on that you kind of feel bad for him. But at the same time, it's like shit, like he's kind of. I mean he. He just seems like the more innocent. Other than the father, I feel like he's the second most innocent person in the whole family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of that relationship with the characters and, and the family members. Just I think it's wild. It's Yeah. The, I mean, this film has a pretty small cast. Yeah. And yet every single core member of the family, whether it's Peter, Steve, Annie, or Charlie, is just gives like a phenomenal performance. And yeah. especially Alex Wolf, I think, for who plays Peter yeah. does such a great job of kind of juggling all of this trauma for different reasons and being at odds. And like you said, he's a high schooler, like being 17, 18 is a pretty big changing period in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And just to see him have to take on this additional burden of this additional guilt and grief right. is just kind of like heightens everything. Yeah. And then of course, like we'd be remiss to not mention uh Tony Collette's performance, yeah. which is, uh, I mean, I, I consider yeah. that like, an Oscar worthy performance, mm-hmm. to be honest. And of course it being a horror movie, essentially this got overlooked yeah. by uh, awards and, or let me rephrase that. It was overlooked by the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it won plenty of like different horror awards right. and whatnot, but she does such a fantastic job of juggling grief and trauma and all of these things. The emotion then, parts of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And her emotions have this huge range where it goes from, very understated and kind of depressed. And then she has these uh, larger than life outbursts trying to almost like purge all this negative emotions that she has, like in the dinner scene right? where her and Peter start basically shouting at each other and kind of duking it out. Yeah, And we have this incredibly tense moment where uh, Gabriel Bryan, who plays Steve, is just kind of sitting there and not being the moderator between them. And the two of them are kind of like verbally duking it out. Mm -hmm. And they have this massive release of all of these negative feelings about one another and everything, but it doesn't resolve anything. Right. They're just kind of releasing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There's no resolution to what they're feeling, essentially. It's kind of just them using it as an opportunity to vent. Yeah. But then the tension is even more so after that. Right. You can't have that screaming fight and then not still be in the same place you just were. Right. Yeah. I think that, and that also goes to the actors themselves, like- 
how like that was probably also one of my favorite scenes too it's like you really get to see how they get into like you get to you feel the emotion of like um annie like she gets like the character the character herself gets very emotional and like tony does a great job at expressing that she like almost i think she breaks down and like starts crying it's like and you can see it from alex like who plays um who's uh Pete, plays peter peter he also kind of yeah. like he's kind of staring at like holy shit like you've been holding on to this for like this whole time it's like when were you yeah. gonna let this out kind of thing he has kind of this shock look in his face when he's just sitting there kind of just taking all this like heat that the mom's like giving him you know and it just yeah. seems like it's such a well done scene that like even from the actor's point of view I, i'm not an actor i don't know anything about acting but that just that was i think that was one of the best scenes i've seen of like drama. it's so fu- it's so funny too because apparently tony collette told her agent around this time before she got the script like i don't want to do anything that's intense anymore I just want to do like comedies and all these different things. Mm. And as soon as she said that to the agent, this was the first script that he sent her. Oh, shit. And it's just so wild to me that I guess she really got bought into uh, the screenplay that Ari Aster wrote. And mm. she thought that it was just such a well-written and he was able to translate exactly what he was thinking onto the page. And he really did sell this movie basically to like producers and stuff. He didn't sell it as a horror movie. Right. Because chances wow. are- for a first-time director, it would be pretty hard to sell this and to get the kind of cast that he got for this right. movie um, based on that. So as selling it as like the front, uh, first and foremost, being a family drama in a lot of ways, that is uh, facilitated within the genre of horror, I think really speaks to how they were able to get people involved with this movie that are like really phenomenal yeah. actors. Even uh, Miley Shapiro, who this was her first feature film. She had done Broadway before. Yeah. Like, her character doesn't say a lot, but it just shows like her ability to kind of convey yeah. all of the odd mannerisms and mm-hmm. tics that um, that Charlie has, which yeah. makes her character so unique and such an outsider. But she barely says anything the whole right. movie yeah. or the part of the movie that she's in. Yeah, I think, yeah, her, I think mostly her actions speak louder than her lines, actually. So it's like, yeah. I think she does such a great job being her first movie at such a young age. I think she did an amazing job at that, like, she definitely gives you this like freaky, creepy kind of like child that's like weird. Like you don't know what the mm-hmm. hell's going on with her. And it's like yeah. kind of creepy, very creepy character that she plays. But I think she does such a great job at, at like just hitting those like keynotes of like her like signature like clock noise that she makes, which is yeah. by far one of the creepiest sounds. It's it's such a like minor sound, but it like she gives so much meaning to it that it makes it creepy. Mm-hmm which again goes to the actors, our actor's ability to be able to, to uh, transform that such a small sound into such a big um, part of the movie, which actually yeah. ends up even car- it carries on until the end throughout the rest of the mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that's a really great uh, point in that she's able to sell it so early on that when they bring it back later in the film, it does have that kind of added weight. Again, like we hear the sound for the first I don't know when during the course where she's alive, right? I'll just say, yeah, during the course where she's alive, and you hear it, and you're like, that's kind of weird. But then you don't like put a lot of thought into it, yeah, until she's gone, and then you've kind of like gotten a connection with her character to a certain extent, and then it starts happening again. Yeah. Like it just has that m- more added weight to it that makes it actually like terrifying rather than just just a weird sound, yeah, kind of. And Ari Aster's ability to kind of weaponize even the most 
innocuous seeming traits of characters into something that is mm-hmm. like terrifying. Yeah. I think it really speaks to his ability as a filmmaker. Yeah, I think even that's it's almost like traumatizing that sound because like mm-hmm. even later on, like you said once she once she passes away, like you like the brother still hears it. Like it still runs like it's just almost like traumatizing to the family that sound that's like the brother just like he will have it for the rest of his life in his head. Yeah, or- that's all he'll hear. Or when Tony Collette hears it when she's uh, yeah, driving, right? Yeah, that was that's also a creepy scene. Like, yeah, when you think you're that was one of those. Yeah. That was one of those scenes too. Rewatching with headphones, mm. since the audio is mixed so well, when you have headphones, yeah. it sounds like it's right behind you, right? <laughs> which bugged me the fuck out when we watched it. Because you look night. over your shoulder, like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that was uh, yeah, definitely. That's one of the better scenes too. That's like you weren't expecting that because it seems such a like peaceful like. She's minding her business driving and I'm going home. And it's like, all of a sudden you get this, like, I guess it's almost like a trauma that kind of triggers her to like mm. hear this. And it's like, Jesus, like what the hell? And I don't know, yeah. It's <laughs> definitely one of those creepy moments. One thing that I never knew about, um, I mean, as versatile as Alex's performances mm. as Peter, like he gives a super fit, a combination of being not only like a very emotional uh, driven performance, but also a physical one. Like we were talking yeah. about, the one scene that you really, really find creepy and yeah. terrifying is the one where he is finally becoming possessed and he's in class mm-hmm. oh and he God, start, yeah. and he smashes his face off the desk. Um, yeah, that's... Ari Aster apparently had to stop him from actually doing that in real life. Jesus. Like he is such a, he's a method actor yeah, yeah, yeah. apparently. So like while he was on set, he would only respond to uh, Peter. Oh, wow. And on the last day of shooting, supposedly he introduced himself to everybody as his actual name, which is Alex. Oh shit! Which I thought That's was crazy. crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that scene where he becomes possessed and he starts, mm. he like contorts his arm Almost up in the air. Has a and stroke because his face is all yeah. like crunched and stuff. I don't know. It's like, yeah. Exa- exactly. Yeah. So he looks like he's having a stroke, and then he smashes his face oh off God, the desk yeah. and breaks his nose. Um, so they swapped out the death, the hard desk for plastic, mm. obviously yeah. you don't want to actually break the actor's right, face, yeah. but, uh, they did that whole scene with only practical effects. Oh wow! And so they like glued his lip down and they glued his, uh, yeah, eyelid that- back. So I, it yeah. looks like he's having a stroke, like you said, yeah. but then he apparently he boxes or something in his mm-hmm. spare time. He can dislocate his jaw because of boxing. And he actually dislocates his jaw for that scene. Jesus. That's why his mouth is all sunken. That is insane. Holy shit. Yeah, Yeah, I think that whole scene is crazy to me because like, I don't know, just something about the moment. Like you can tell he's he's like in the process of breaking down and then it's like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you see his like arm shoots up and it's like, what the hell is going on? It's all twisted And then like the camera does like this 360 where it like kind of shows the professor and then turns around to see his face. And he's all like, mm-hmm. his face is all like almost melting. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you see him smack his head once and then smack his head a second time. And he kind of snaps out of it. And it's like, Holy shit. Like what the hell just happened? That's, I mean, I don't know. I just find that to be like, it just feels so realistic to me. I guess the, the uh, Alex did such a great job at selling that point that like, you know, like you feel like he's really being possessed. And I think, like you just said, like he actually dislocated his jaw just to make a, like a one scene, which is insane. I don't think I could ever do that, but it definitely, sure, it definitely did a great job at selling that. Cause I think for me, it's one of those, it's not a scary scene, but it's just like wild scene to see someone like someone experience that. I think it's just nuts. It blows my mind. Yeah. It's super disturbing. Yeah. And it sits with you not only because of his performance, like his willing to give it to 
utilize his physicality yeah. for that role. But also, like again, coming back to Ari Aster's ability to scaffold the scares. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, I feel like with possession stuff, it some directors have a tendency to make it immediate. Yeah. Whereas in this, it starts very slow and it's very subtle. Yeah. So that way, when it kind of catches you off guard when things go one hundred, like zero to one hundred, in terms of displaying that he's become fully possessed now. Yeah. And I just love that throughout the film where we get those little instances where, like, he has that. Uh, he has the nightmares where his mother lights him yeah, on fire. Was, yeah. Where, and then he imagines like his head's getting pulled. Yeah. Oh, no, that actually happens. I think his head gets pulled. Oh yeah, on the bed. Uh, when he's in bed. That- yeah, when he's oh, in bed. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was he was dreaming. Oh shit. No, I think that part is real. Oh wow. Um, and then he has like the panic attack under the bleachers. Oh yeah, that was. And it just it just kind of like slowly and slowly grows until yeah. it gets incredibly aggressive mm-hmm. in terms of just like. Now the haunt, like whether there was any doubt that there was a haunting or possession happening, yeah. like there's no doubt anymore. Like it right. could not be more apparent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that. They, that um, Arias did that. Like it kind of like a slow buildup because most movies I feel like it's like almost like in the exorcist kind of just shoots to the conclusion of like this person's definitely possessed. You know it. There's no like signals of like these are like kind of like the signs that it's becoming a person's becoming possessed. And it's just kind of like. I don't know. I feel like we're so used to seeing just like jumping to conclusion, like, yeah, he's possessed and it's like a demon or something. I like that they give you like subtle hints of like this person's like feeling this kind of way and like he's not his natural self and like he experiences like shortness of breath when he's like, they're like smoking under the bleacher. He kind of mm-hmm. freaks out and like he has like a mini panic attack. And it's like, I just really like that subtle buildup to the main, to what's, what is to come, I guess. And I guess you also experience that with the mother too. Like she slowly starts to really lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like you kind of get to like experience see her growth as like the way she's losing her mind and she meets that lady and that's when really it kind of starts taking off for her which is a really intense yeah so for as kind of out there and supernatural as the finale is mm-hmm. I feel like three-fourths of the film are very very grounded in their portrayal of just reality like yeah show like especially in terms of um how they experience grief yeah. and trauma and how Ari Aster captures that, yeah. I feel like is really well done. And some of the most chilling parts of the movie have nothing to do with the supernatural. Like when yeah. Charlie dies, yeah. we get, and um, and uh, Annie finds the body in the car. Oh my God. We don't even see her finding the body. Yeah. We see uh, Peter in bed, right. kind of just staring He's off into space. Yeah. yeah. And then you hear her screaming yeah. about it. And then, of course, it cuts to actually seeing Charlie's face, which is being like eaten by ants mm-hmm. and rotting and everything. But then it cuts away from that again to um, Annie, like on the ground, like writhing yeah. and screaming, and it's just that's the most uh, like disturbing, right. one of the most disturbing parts of the movie for me, and just like how raw that energy is yeah. and that emotion, and it's made so palpable for the audience that. I don't think they could follow that immediately up with like a big in-your-face scare mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Because there's so much groundwork in those little kind of gut-wrenching moments. Yeah, I really like, yeah, again, Tony's performance, she does an amazing job at that. Like she really sells that she's feeling the pain. Like you can feel it like in in the crying, in the yelling, you can feel her pain. And that's what, I think that's what we were talking about like during the movie. It's like, wow, you really like can tell that she's really feeling this grief and this pain that, it's like, damn, I lost my kid. Like, that's intense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I feel like for a mother, that's something so hard. And it's like, that's, it just, she just does such a great job at selling that, like the way she cries. And I really also did like the scene where you see Peter's, he's laying in bed. He like, after 
what happened to Charlie and he's laying in bed and you can hear the background, like everything, the world keeps going, but he's just laying in bed quiet by himself. And you just hear the mom outside yell when he finds the body and it's like, holy shit. Like, and then it just jumps. I feel like most movies, they would just jump to like the funeral scene after that. Like Mm -hmm. this one, it kind of just kind of like really gets the, you get involved in Anne's um, character where it's like, she can feel her pain and she's like laying on the floor in the bedroom crying, like just literally melting down. Um, She does an amazing job at, at really selling that pain that she's going through. Yeah. That was something that Alex Wolf actually said that he hates with a lot of movies that this film avoids doing is that he hates when people handle grief very like neatly. Yeah. Kind of like they, they experience loss of some sort. And then 10 minutes later, they're like, all right, we're on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. It kind of, the, the, again, the grief that the family is feeling kind of permeates throughout the entire movie. You never get the sense that any of these people have moved on in any capacity. Right. Like, it just it kind of follows them around almost the entire movie and it's kind of just builds up on the idea that something horrible is going to happen soon and you don't know if that grief they're ever going to get over but it kind of speaks to the the dark again the dark tone of the movie is that yeah. these people are feeling grief and they're exposed emotionally and they're very vulnerable mm-hmm. they're like very tender at this point because yeah. of all of the sort of horrible things that have been occurring mm-hmm. But the director doesn't care. Like he's, right. he wants to have something prey upon these people that are at their lowest point. Right. And that's just something that, again, like I really like in horror movies because it's like that's what makes them the most memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you re- definitely he like touches those like soft spot in the character that really shows you like the emotion that really comes out of them. I think that's like you were saying, like that's I think that's one of the best things that that adds more intensity to the movie just mm-hmm. really selling on those scenes where it's like the character itself is already broken down. And then on top of that, you get another tragic thing and you just really kind of see them lose it. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about Anne, um, her character that she really just, you can feel like, every, like all the emotions that she's going through, you can feel it. Like she's, it's almost like building up to the point, like where she's broken down. Like, I feel like, when you see they lose Charlie, she breaks down. But on top of that, she has the grief of, yeah, I lost my mom too. And then mm-hmm. in that dinner scene where they're talking, that's also been building up to like her trying to talk to her son about it. Like everything that Peter does now, it bothers her, it seems like. And then it's like she's mm-hmm. kind of been building up. She's never said anything about it, but she's kind of holding this in. And then that scene comes on and she kind of snaps. You can see her like she just kind of loses. Like I'm not holding on to anything. And she just starts blabbering out all these like negative things at Peter. And he's just kind of staring at them. Or she's staring at, he's staring at her like, holy shit, like you've been holding on to all this. Even mm-hmm. throughout the dinner, like Peter's almost like asking, he's like, mom, you seem like you have something in your mind. And like, she's like, no, no. And like, she's refusing to say it. Mm-hmm. kind of Peter kind of gets tired of it and he kind of like snaps at her and then she just loses it. But I think yeah. it really does a great job. It, I really enjoy that like kind of build up intensity and just kind of letting it go. You kind of get more connected to the character, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she kind of gets that green light in that scene yeah. to kind of just like let it go. pop off with all this stuff that she's been holding in. Yeah. Um, another scene that's a really fantastic example and again, why I think it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty egregious that she didn't win anything for this is mm-hmm. that the scene when she goes to the first therapy session, it's kind of like, um, it's like a trauma survivor group yeah. basically, but just her, she starts going through her whole family history right. and it's like her mother passing away is probably the least traumatic thing that's happened to her in her entire life. Cause she goes into like her father was, um, 
depressed and starving himself yeah. to death. And then the brother ends up, he thinks he's schizophrenic. Well, we find out that he wasn't schizophrenic. Right. We find he, cause he was saying like, there's demons inside of him. So he kills himself. Yeah. And then she has this weird relationship with her mother, but you kind of just, she gets so wrapped up in talking about her own trauma right. that you start to see the rest of the group, yeah. like their face shifts. Yeah. In just terms of just like how fucked up and unrelenting her life has been. Yeah. And the way that she talks about it, like she gets emotional, but it's not representative of just how traumatic her entire life has been. Yeah. And just her ability to almost undersell talking about how awful all of these events were mm. is just something that like, I feel like the tendency would be to overact that part. Yeah. Whereas she doesn't even underact it because she does show emotion, but she finds this sweet spot in the middle where... She seems like she's accepted all of this horrific things that yeah. have happened, and yet she's not over the top about it, and yet she's not pretending like it didn't happen. It's kind of this weird in between that is super unsettling. She's like to okay watch. with it. She's okay with the fact yeah. that she's gone through all this stuff. Yeah, like you were saying, like the fact that she lost her mom is like almost on the low end of everything. She's right. kind of like it, it sounded almost like she was like more like curious about to see how how did his brother come about killing himself like she was more curious about the other family members than the mother because mm -hmm. like you can later find out that she doesn't have a great relationship with her mother so it kind of right. seems like she's like well i don't care about my mom but like i'm curious to see why why did my brother do this and why did my dad do that you know it just doesn't seem like it's something that she doesn't have a great connection obviously with her mom um but mm -hmm. yeah she definitely that that was definitely um a good scene to kind of you almost get to you slowly start to see and kind of unravel herself, I guess. And she mm -hmm. kind of opens up more, which is nice. Yeah. So something I didn't know was that the original cut of this movie was actually three hours long. Oh, geez. Which is not super surprising given Ari Aster's uh, track record on like making movies yeah. that are pretty long. And like there's a rumor that his next movie, which is supposed to be a horror comedy, is supposed to be like four and a half hours long, Jesus. which is excessive in so <laughs> yeah. many ways. But not to uh, detract too much, but a lot of what the extra footage is that he said, they cut like 30 scenes out of the movie. Mm. A lot of it was just more focusing on the family relationship. Like it wasn't more scares or anything like that. And I think while I'm thankful that it's not three hours long, right. I think it just, again, speaks to his dedication in really making that the focal point of the film, which again, it really complements the scares in the later half, which I really want to get into now mm. um, in terms of just like, how hard they hit and it's not necessarily stuff that we haven't seen before it's kind of just a combination of scares but th it's more so that we're not expecting them because of the right. kind of trajectory of the movie yeah no well to be honest with you i'm glad he kind of didn't add those three-hour movie kind of thing I'm glad yeah he, i think he did a great job at picking the scenes that he wanted for us to see and i think mm -hmm. the scenes that he did pick um i think it's they I think it's a great job at picking them because you kind of get to see their family, but you, you get to really know them, but you don't really get to fully, they don't get fully exposed. You just kind of know enough to kind of creep you out in their backstory. But yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I don't know if I, I could have probably watched that uh, three hour movie. Was, yeah. He kind of just lets us know enough about them yeah. that we are able to follow along. We're able to become invested. And yet there is always this little tinge of mystery revolving around everybody, essentially like, it would be very interesting to, I guess, I wouldn't want it in the movie because it, then it would explain too much, but right. it is interesting how it feels like we're coming into this family and we're observing them after a significant period of time where things have been uncomfortable. Yeah. 
like it's not that things become uncomfortable once the movie starts. It feels like we're joining them and things have been uncomfortable and tense for a while. Right, yeah. Before the mother even died, it seems that there was inner conflict between the characters. Yeah. Which is just really rare because again, like how many movies actually do that? Right. Usually the conflict arises from something happening. Right. Whereas with this, the conflict is already happened. heightening yeah. everything. It's heightened. Yeah, yeah, it's already happened and we're seeing it continue to escalate yeah. rather than starting at like ground zero basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, and even like something that you don't like, I feel like the father himself, he kind of like, he's probably the most distant out of all those characters, like out of the four characters. He just seems like he's like, doesn't really care about this problem that's going on with the family. Like he's kind of like, he's there, but he's not really supportive in a sense. Like he's trying to help, but like, he doesn't seem like he's putting much effort. And that seems like he's kind of, I feel like he's worn down from everything that's been happening, which we, Mm -hmm. I mean, we kind of walk into this movie knowing that something has happened. Um, but like, we don't really know exactly what it is, but it's like, he's kind of, seems like he's beat up about it. It doesn't really like, he doesn't add much value to it, but he also, you kind of also need him to be like the male of the house. He's the one that's come out of all other, all four of them. He's like the mm-hmm. least trauma, uh, least, yeah, least one that goes through the trauma. Although he is the husband and the father of the house, but like, he just seems very calm and relaxed and it's like, he's like, what the hell is going on? Like he kind of, at one point he, he does that. Like when they, um, near the end, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like when they try to, um, use the, uh, they do the seance. Yeah, the seance stuff. He's like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is like, this is just another mm-hmm. crazy thing that you're doing or something. And it just, I don't know. I feel like his character is very minimal, but you kind of need that person to be like the person that kind of stinking outside of the situation. Right. Yeah, he's definitely the one that feels the most reserved. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I feel the most for him. Right. At times because he has to deal he's with dealing all with all these yeah. things. Nobody ever checks in on how he's doing. Right. And he's experiencing a lot of the trauma that they are. And yet he's never, like you said, he kind of has to be the foundation, basically, yeah. of the characters. And yet he's still grappling with all of these things. So he comes off as very reserved. Right. Um, something that I learned in the doc that I watched, I didn't realize, and I don't think they ever say it in the movie that apparently he was Annie's psychiatrist. What? And yeah. So Tony Collette says in the interview that basically he was her psychiatrist. And then when she stopped seeing him, they became involved romantically and then they end up getting married and having kids and all that. I never realized that before. I would have never noted that. Yeah. And in knowing that, like, it's almost more disturbing yeah. that that's the case because like he's a psychiatrist and yet he is he knows what she's been dealing with. Right. He knows her like family history and the things that she deals with. And yet there's all these warning signs that she starts she something had to have happened for her to go see him in the first place. Yeah. And so for him to sort of see the breadcrumbs leading to her eventual spiraling into yeah. I guess for lack of a better word, like madness mm-hmm. or mania, to not be more proactive in it. I guess yeah. it's just even it's kind of like more disturbing in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like he's kind of like she's weird, but I'm still gonna do this. Like in a sense, like right. she has all this problem, but yeah, I still want to go for it. Like it's like yeah. that's kind of crazy to think about that. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, it, it adds just a, again like yeah. on a rewatch, it just adds another wrinkle uh, to the film that's super disturbing. Yeah, or, it, it seems like he's or, almost like in the distance watching in a sense, like in the movie, mm-hmm. like you get to see the scene when she comes in, she's like, Oh, I was at the movie theater. He's just sitting there reading. He's like, Oh, you've been gone for a while. Like, and it's like, he's kind of seems very distant, but he's kind of like almost observing her, like what she's doing. 
the mm-hmm. point where she kind of already starts losing it and he's like this is insane like you're crazy um yeah. he's very clinical in his yeah. way kind of watches everything right he's like collecting a little too much evidence right. like maybe step in a little sooner and do something yeah, or say something. yeah especially when she's making these like dollhouses of like her trauma like we mm-hmm. see it and she has like her office i guess her office room where she works and like she's everything that's happened to her life she's basically making a dollhouse out of it the situation which is insane yeah. to think about it like right and then and then when she goes on and have the scene where uh charlie dies she basically rebuilds that scene is also just out of this world i would have <laughs> that's the last thing you would want to have in your house i feel like the scene where your daughter dies like what the hell right there's using artist therapy and then there's recreating the scene of your daughter being decapitated yeah like that just again it shows it shows that early on that her foundation for dealing with things is not 100% healthy right. at all. Like yeah. it shows that she kind of has a twisted sense of justifying a lot of her actions. Yeah. Like the fact that she doesn't know what to do with all of these feelings and it starts to come out in more and more disturbing ways kind of just is a, uh, the beginning of the end as it were. Yeah. It's, it's like, and then it's like on top of that, it's like you're her Peter's room is literally next door to her office. Like he walks by mm-hmm. that room. And he sees that. I feel like even the dad says, he's like, what if Peter sees this? Like, he's going to have to live with this like every day when he walks through here, like, mm-hmm. like just a mocking of her daughter dying. And it's like, Peter was involved in that situation. It's like, he's going to see this every time he walks by her, by his room. It's like, it's insane. It's just crazy way to deal with, I guess, for me to deal with such a trauma. Like, And it's also very passive aggressive yeah. because she tries to justify it to the husband. She's like, well, it's a completely neutral uh, view of the accident. Yeah. It's not blaming him for anything. And it's just like, yeah, but he feels like he's to be blamed for this. Right. So it's just yeah. like she tries to kind of talk her way out of it without really addressing the fact that she has a lot of those feelings that she's repressing. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like coming out in the artwork. But she, I think she does realize that it would trigger him. Yeah. But it's almost like she's trying to trigger a confrontation because yeah. – these, for whatever reason, this family is incapable of talking. Right. Yeah. For like talking things out, so it's almost like she's trying to make things that will trigger a conversation yeah. because n- n- uh, n- neither side will kind of jumpstart the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, this piece of disturbing artwork of my yeah. decapitated daughter will be like the catalyst right. for our conversation. It's like if you have a problem, let's talk about it, kind of thing. Like she kind of leaves right. it there. It's like all right, if it's not going to bother anyone, then it shouldn't bother anybody. But if there's a problem, let's talk about it kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, um, they have, it's a very interesting family to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They it's have a, an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Different ways to go about things for sure. But, uh, let's jump into the finale. Like yeah. that finale is yeah, probably a, for me, a top five horror Absolutely. finale ever. Yeah. Like it's just so, uh, it just escalates so incredibly quickly yeah. and goes into so many different shocking directions mm-hmm. that yeah. I feel just completely unprepared for it every single yeah. time I watch it. You don't know it. what's going to happen each scene. Like, I don't know. Like even rewatching it, it's like, is this when this happens? Is this when this? Oh, no, mm-hmm. no, never mind. That's the wrong scene. It's like right. things come out of nowhere. You're just like, what the hell? Yeah. Well, he has you under such, Ari Aster has you under such a trance yeah. in terms of the buildup again, which I keep uh, returning to. Mm-hmm. And again, like, you know what's going to happen, obviously, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, you it just feels very unexpected like right. oh things can't possibly get worse and then of course they get much fucking <laughs> yeah. worse weird um, yeah which the thing that kind of kickstarts the haunting finally 
is when she burns the notebook and yeah. her husband gets lit ablaze. Right. That's and I didn't know that that scene was mostly impro improvised. Oh yeah. Yeah, the whole when she when Tony Collette breaks down and she's like begging him to throw the book yeah. in the fire to kind of release the spirits. Yeah, that was all improvised oh, for wow. the most part. Like she said that there was barely any dialogue originally, and she did it yeah, all in she one. She sold take. that, yeah, because that was yeah, exactly. really well done too. In Absolutely. her part, I think she really like showed like please do like she's kind of almost tired of dealing with such a crazy like all this hectic things that's going on, and she's like please just do this for me like this yeah. once and like i love you and like she really tries to convince him to do it and he's just like no like this is not helping yeah it's like yeah that's that wow that was pretty that's impressive yeah she did a great job at that yeah and that was what really kickstarts the kind of finale yeah. is we get another one of those transition shots where it goes from daytime to nighttime mm. and then when it turns to nighttime we see all of the naked cultists yeah. surrounding <laughs> yeah. the house and you're just like it's one of those things that happens so suddenly. Yeah, it's very subtle. That, yeah. yeah, it's very subtle. Yeah. And you're not expecting it. And even on a rewatch, it took me a second to realize what I was looking at. Yeah. Because the idea that there's a... We know that there's a cult. Right. But then the idea that all of a sudden there's 40 people naked in the yard yeah. kind of surrounding the house, you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. I can't... But like, it just catches me yeah. off guard every like time. You would, I, think, I feel like... It's one of those movies. I feel like this is the kind of movie where it's like, you know, there's certain kind of movies where you play in the background, you're on your phone. This is the kind of movie that you have to be paying attention because there's so many subtle details. Like, like yeah. you just said, like that night scene when it switched from daylight to nighttime, there's like, if you have to pay attention because it's very subtle, you can barely see the people standing there, but they're there. Like, mm -hmm. it's creepy that right. like you really have to be like fully paying attention to really catch the, the detail part of it. And like, I think again, it goes back to the director. It's like, these smaller details that do make a difference in, in the movie and it got, adds more of a creepy factor to it. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. the, the cult people are just one of the creepiest things I think at the end too, all the oh, way yeah. throughout that I, second half of the movie. <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, the scene where Peter wakes up in bed and he, he can't hear anybody and then you just see in the oh corner God, of the room, yeah. the camera focuses a little bit and yeah. you see Tony Collette who's now fully possessed yeah. just like, like a like a fly on the wall hanging yeah. out in the top corner and then the camera pans down to his eye level looking out the window because the uh the spotlight outside turns on right. probably because there's a cultist walking yeah. around but uh and then you see her like spider oh crawl God, across yeah. the ceiling out of the room and it's just like that's a nightmare it's at that <laughs> it's at that point it's straight up nightmare yeah. fuel like that's the point where you're so caught off guard by that yeah. the suddenness of how overtly scary it mm -hmm. is that every single time I watch it, it's just it's pure nightmare fuel. Yeah, it's like when when I first saw that scene, I was like trying to like rub my eyes. I was like, am I seeing something? Like, because it's like <laughs> it's dark enough that you can see there's something there, but it's like at the same time, it's like you know, it's dark. It's like oh, you, it's just a background, but then you see something. I'm like, huh? It's like just light enough that you can see her just standing. There. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like why is she standing up there? Like, and then it's like. At the same time, it's such a, it's like one of the quietest scene because like you mm -hmm. can you can just hear like there's nothing. It's like a almost like a black hole, and then he's kind of like moving around, and he like turns around to look, and you can see her crawling in the background. And it's like what the hell? I remember yeah. when we first saw that, I was like, holy shit! Like that's I don't yeah. There was only like five of us in the theater when we saw it, <laughs> yeah. dude. But you could hear a fucking pin drop yeah. in that theater. Like we were sitting with one of our other friends, yeah. and literally the whole time I'm just like. 
yeah not talking barely like holding my breath it's so terrible yeah that's yeah that scene yeah that's that's one of that's what yeah that's when you really get to see her well i think also that the beginning part before when she originally gets possessed when they're in the table mm-hmm. i think that, yeah, that's also a creepy part when she starts making those weird noises she starts talking like charlie yeah oh boy or impersonating her or she starts like i think she starts like growling when the when the dad bends over to look under the table to oh see yeah it. and she goes <laughs> i was like oh my god dude that's right and then she's kind of just like staring down and her hair is hanging and it's like and at that time peter's like what the hell is going on he's like freaking out he, he really compliments that in selling that yeah. where he's having a full fucking meltdown yeah. when she's doing that and he's just like make it stop make it stop over yeah. and over and over and it's like he looks truly terrified, yeah. and the actor uh, Alex even said in an interview he had he felt like he had PTSD after making oh the movie because it was just so traumatic, especially to be like method acting for this movie yeah. and to be like take on the identity of that character. Yeah, that's. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, when she starts chasing him around oh my the house, God. like she's haul assing too. Like, yeah, she really keep up with it. her. I wonder if that was her actually running, or if that was. I think that must have been a stunt double because he. That that person was haul assing like, I think when, I think when they're downstairs, like when he turns around and he sees the because yeah. he hears the floorboard creak, and yeah. then it just pans to the corner of the room yeah. and there's this cultist naked just standing there just smiling. Weird like, dude, yeah. Which is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. First like, of all, the fact that, that you're butt naked, like why are you butt naked in my yeah, house? Yeah, why like, are you <laughs> naked, dude? Put a fucking gown yeah. on. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then it cuts back and she's in the corner of the oh room already. God. and She chases him. I think that part, that was Tony Colletti because she's just running in a straight line. Yeah. But then when they get upstairs, there's a part where she falls. Yeah. Or she trips. I would bet that that was a right. stunt. It was, that was a stunt double. It's like, you know, have you ever seen those memes where it's like you turn off a light in the basement and you have to run upstairs kind of thing? Yeah. It really <laughs> seems exactly yeah. like that, dude. Like the way mm-hmm. that she's running, like it's literally like she's literally got him. Like that's how I feel. And like, you, I kind of panic. I had like a little anxiety attack. I'm like, Dude, make sure yeah. he doesn't get you. Like he's literally taking like two steps. He's like skipping steps going upstairs. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like that scene was just so frightening. It gives you like anxiety, just like oh shit, he's gonna get caught. And then like when he takes a turn to go up that hallway before he goes up in the attic, and it's like oh shit, he slips. And then she slips. I was like oh my god, dude, he's gonna get caught. Like yeah, it's just such a like intense scene. It, it kind of freaks me. It gives me anxiety to think about it. And then, I mean, he gets into the attic and yeah. he closes the door behind him and you're like, oh, he's good. Yeah. And then you see her on the ceiling again, oh. like smashing her face oh, against God, the door yeah, trying to get in. And it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Go- this movie, yeah. like, it it just keeps building and building and building. Like, you assume to a certain point, like, she can climb around on the walls yeah. and stuff. Like, we've reached the ceiling of the scares. And then he, Ari Aster just continually, like, redefines what our expectation of the ceiling is yeah. for scares. For the entire 15 minutes of that segment. Yeah. Like, it's like, for me, it's like, if to think about that scene where like, he's like at the attic, just close the door and you start hearing this banging. It's very repetitive. It's a very fast pace. You would think mm-hmm. she's like banging on the wall or something, but then right. it just zooms in. does like a 360 zoom. Again, I think it's like mm-hmm. the camera, the way that it does the camera, it's f- sick. And it does like a 360 yeah. zoom to what's going on under the floor of him. Right. And it's like, she's literally on the wall facing the ceiling or she's on the ceiling facing like the door, smashing her head. It's just the creepiest thing ever, dude. I'm just thinking yeah. like, she's probably going to kill. I think I thought originally it was like this where she died. Cause she, the way she's smashing her head, just like nonstop. It's like, you can almost feel the pace. It's like such a fast pace. It kind of mm-hmm. like, holy shit, this chick is definitely possessed, like some creepy shit. 
yeah. does a really and then, good of course, job of telling that. Aster manages to uh, outdo themselves yeah. like moments later where <laughs> I love that again where we hear it before we see it. Mm. Like we hear that it sounds like somebody dropped water on the ground yeah. almost where you hear like a splatter. Yeah. And then he just freezes and you can see in his face like this is about to be so incredibly more fucked up yeah. than anything we've seen the whole movie. He's almost seems and then traumatized. It gets, yeah, he's like drooling exactly. and stuff. He's like, holy shit. Like, yeah. yeah. And then you hear the splattering more and you hear this sound oh, that you can't recognize. Yeah. And he just slowly starts to look up. And then he sees her levitating there with the piano wire, yeah. just like sawing her head oh, off. Jesus, yeah. It's, it's it just, it's so yeah. unexpected. Yeah. Like you, you should expect something horrible to happen. Yeah. But at the same time, like, there's no way that you could predict any part of yeah. that. And it's crazy scene. I, I think what makes that scene one of the most terrifying moments of my life the first time I saw it is when we saw it in the theater. This is yeah. more just like anecdotal. There's a moment where you see her up there and she's doing that. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts very quickly after that. We hear another floorboard creak. Yeah. And his and we see him turn his head. And there's naked cultists in the corner there's and they're three waving. People, and yeah. Oh my there's god. There's three yeah. people waving at him naked. The woman sitting behind us screamed so fucking loud <laughs> yeah. when that happened, dude. I almost shit myself. Like that that remains one of the scariest moments of my life. That woman yeah. screaming into my ear when that happened. Like it just made that so much more oh terrifying. God, yeah. And it's that's an experience I could never pay for, but I would pay all the money in that the was world an to amazing experience moment, that again. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I think even to I thought like that moment for me was like, yeah, she's levitating, cutting her head off is creepy. But then when mm -hmm. he looks down and he sees three naked people like staring at you, smiling, waving at you in the dark, yeah. that just, right. I was like, dude, that's the end of this. Like I, this is as creepy yeah. as it gets. I think the three people staring at you is more creepier than someone just levitating, exactly. cutting their head off. And yeah. I mean, after that, it, it makes sense what he did. Like just, yeah. <laughs> just like run off. Like, yeah. Just, just throw yourself out of the second story yeah, window. I was like, I would have done the same thing because there's nothing you can do at that point. Right. Like your mom, your mom was just chasing you downstairs, and all of a sudden she's levitated in their same room. You just close the door, and then there's mm -hmm. three people in the same room. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah, it's oh, it's just so intense. That, yeah, so I really I think that scene pays off so well mm -hmm. because of the timing. Yeah, like we get we see we go from seeing Tony Collette sawing her head, and then it cuts very quickly to his pers him. Uh, turning his head yeah. and then it cuts from that it cuts from like three different angle, camera angles very quickly where that cuts from her to him yeah. to the people in the corner and then cutting back to him and he jumps out of the window yeah. like a second later and the timing is just so perfect mm -hmm. in executing that scene again it's one of those instances where it takes your brain a second to to register what's happening yeah. and by the time it catches up yeah. like it's just like so unbelievably terrifying yeah. that it just fucks with me every when time. When you actually realize what's going on, you're like, holy shit. And then it's yeah. like, by that time, it's like, yeah, he's already gone crazy. Like, he's just lost it. And he's just jumping out the window. Like, yeah, yeah those are definitely, I think, for me, that the ending, those last 15, 20 minutes is probably the creepiest of a movie that I've seen. Like, I'm not crazy about scary movies, but this is, I mean, and then we keep watching. I think we've seen this movie like about five, six times already. Like. Mm -hmm. I'm not crazy about it, but it's still one of the creepiest movies that I will watch because I think it's so well done. Um, and it's really like, I, I really enjoyed the build up to it and just like throughout the whole movie, it's just really well executed. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I really enjoy it. For me, one of the cool things is seeing the different camera angles. I think 
the way he manipulates the camera and the way he does the scenes and transitions. I think it's really awesome. But um, yeah, the cinema, yeah, it's, the cinematography is fantastic. Yeah. And I love that that carried over. I mean, we'll probably have to do one on uh, Midsummer mm-hmm. yeah. next, but uh, I, it's just great to see his sense of style. That's so refined yeah. and it carries over to the sequel, whether, I, I mean, we'll get into the sequel. It's not a sequel. I shouldn't say it's a sequel. Yeah. His follow-up film, yeah. rather. Like, it's great to see him tell such a distinctly different type of story, and yet that same unique and creative camera style that he uses, yeah. he employs in another way that he goes from, like, dark interior shots to large, uh, brightly lit exteriors in the follow-up film. Mm. And just to see that same attention to, like, detail and creative camera style is yeah. really fantastic. Yeah, it gives and it one a uniqueness that- to it, yeah. Yeah, and I I I think no matter what he makes next, like I would be all on board for it. Obviously, yeah, like just to sure. see him continue and evolve on that would be really fantastic. Yeah. Um, shit, I was gonna say something and lost track of the thought, but no, I oh, think man. it's um, yeah, I think that like the scaresness of it, like I think it's worth like the build up, even even if mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm sure there's people that don't agree with us, but I think the build up to it to the end, I think it's quite creepy. Like if you're, I mean. I, I know there's people that love scary movies and they don't get scared. Personally, mm-hmm. I'm not crazy about scary movies and I tend to get scared, but I kind of, I sometimes I watch it just because I want to get scared. And mm-hmm. this is definitely one of those that I enjoy that I don't want to watch because it's scary, but at the same time, I do enjoy being scared of. So I was like, I almost like force myself to watch it, but it's worth mm-hmm. it for me. Um, yeah, definitely. Like I said earlier, like, I didn't sleep that well last night, <laughs> but it was worth it for me. So mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this movie is one that you, I like, I hate to have, I hate to preface a movie with this, but it's like one that you really can only appreciate on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Like it, cause most of the criticisms from a lot of people were like, it takes forever for something to happen, but yeah. it's like the ending would not be nearly as effective as it is if it didn't have that build up and all that character investment that we talked about earlier. Right it really is something that is very methodically constructed mm-hmm. and you get so engrossed in that buildup. But I feel like on a rewatch, like it's the character dynamics are fascinating. The performances are phenomenal. Yeah. So that way, when you finally do get to something that's scary, you don't really have fatigue. Like I think we kind of had a little fatigue the first time we watched it in mm-hmm. that the first 90 minutes, nothing overtly scary really happened. Yeah. But then on a rewatch, when you know there's a payoff, right. you kind of are able to relax a little bit and enjoy it, even if it's tense and frightening just as much the same. Right. Yeah. I like the rewatch because I also love the subtle like hint of like there's hidden messages within the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Like I just really like finding those little like golden eggs in within the movie that you see throughout. Like you watch it the first time, you're kind of like trying to figure out what the plot is, what the character, the second time you're kind of like, all right, I'm kind of familiar with this. And now for me, like the second to third time, I'm kind of like, well, what, what are there subtle hints that you'll know that what will happen in the movie? And Mm -hmm. again, I think it goes back to the concept that he does with the, um, with the, the um, doll houses that he makes that, that that's a unique concept, like kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen. I think it's right. awesome. I think that concept, the fact that he, I don't know, I've never seen that concept before used before, but like to show you each scene, what's, what is to happen in like a dollhouse style, it's creepy and it's unique in its own way that I think it's awesome. I think you were talking about, like we talked about it, like the movie Lodge kind of tries to do the same thing, but it's obviously not executed as well as he is. Right. And it almost seems like it kind of, it's a rip off to her, Terry. But I think it's it's a it's like a really unique concept which I enjoy, 
and also you find like hidden moments like you're waiting for for that scene where where you just saw like for example there's a scene where um like you get to see like the, the the way she she builds the house and it's like you're trying to see the exact moment where they got that image from like in the dollhouse mm-hmm. and it's it's just like i find it so unique that something different it's not that we haven't i personally haven't seen before um and it i really enjoy that part of, well that's one of the cool things about it yeah absolutely it, again it's another way for them to show us the family history rather yeah. than telling us right. because I believe Ari Aster has a three-hour cut of this. Like that does not surprise me yeah. at all. The fact that there's probably a lot of exposition that had to be cut out, mm. and instead they have this as a solution to that, maybe a little bit to help. Yeah, I think it's just really indicative of a filmmaker that is not only able to make his vision for something more palatable for audiences, mm. because there's very few filmmakers that can make a three-hour movie and like retain our interest yeah. throughout. Not only that, but it's just telling a story that on the surface is very simplistic in a really complex and engrossing way, I think really speaks to his talents as a a relatively new filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, he has, apparently he has a handful of short films that he made. They're like 30 minute movies um, that I kind of want to go back and watch oh, wow. now. But uh, in terms of this being his debut feature film and then him only having one other feature film being Midsommar yeah. uh, is just super impressive to me. He has a bunch of indie but, movies? A uh, bunch of short movies. Oh, so okay. he did like 30 minute they're, they look professional. It's just that they're 30 oh. minutes long. Um, he did those, those for his... Different varieties of style. Yeah. So that he did it for his thesis. Um, I forget which film school he went oh, to, but shit. it was part of his thesis where you have to make a 30-minute movie, basically. Oh, shit. Uh, and from what I've heard, one of them in particular is extremely fucked up. Oh, yeah? I'm <laughs> yeah. curious. I want to see it now. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, maybe we'll, uh, we'll zoom that yeah. next. But uh, was there any particular scene or... Uh, moments of the film we didn't touch upon just um, in wrapping up I don't know I no I think we had all the the unique ones and the awesome scenes what uh I mean I guess like the that lady that introduces her to the uh, ritual which is kind of Joan, yeah. yeah I wish they would have kind of explained a little more about her I mean we kind of find out later on that she was related to the family or I guess to the mother, mm-hmm. she was in the same cult. She was a fan. She was a fan, yeah. Yeah, or a, a friend, a friend, yeah, of her mother. But other than that, I mean, no, I think we hit all the points. I think I think that ending scene. I think for me, the 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 school scene where the when Peter smashes his face is one of the weirdest. Like, it's yeah. a non scary but creepy scene. But it's like, mm-hmm. why would someone do that? And then I think the mother chasing him around the house. That ten seconds shot of her running around the house chasing him is by far the creepiest thing. It gives me anxiety. Straight up nightmare. Yeah. Fool. Yeah. And the naked but, people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nightmare. That's always unsettling. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I appreciate you picking this movie. I mean, oh. like I said at the beginning, I feel like it's been a long time coming because, yeah. uh, we, we find ourselves rewatching and just talking about this movie pretty frequently. That's true. So, yeah. Like, no, thanks for having me. Yeah. It was always fun watching, rewatching these movies. Uh, you know, it's something we both enjoy watching and we've watched it so many mm-hmm. times. I felt like it was only right to do a, a podcast about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I'll have to have you on again sometime soon, hopefully um, do Midsommar oh, or yeah, something for sure. something else that uh, that um, gels with your horror likes. Oh yeah, definitely. I'd love to come back and do another one. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram or at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.